Conclusion Unnecessary Utopia The world is now too dangerous for anything less than utopia. R. Buckminster Fuller When journalist Bill Moyers asked Isaac Asimov about the relationship between soaring population and the, quote, the dignity of the human species, Asimov was unequivocal. It will be completely destroyed, he said. The same way democracy cannot survive overpopulation, human dignity cannot survive it. Convenience and decency cannot survive it. As you put more and more people into the world, the value of life not only declines, it disappears. Unquote. It sometimes seems as if there is a limited quantity of quality of life in the world. And as a global population continues to soar, there's less to go around. With 100 million people on the planet, there'd be plenty of fresh water, fish, space, and energy for all. But the economies in which we're currently trapped thrive on growth, even at the expense of human well-being. Endless growth is the ideology of conventional economics and the cancer cell. Still, despite the sheer volume of grumpiness you've read so far, I'm not without hope for our species, which is not to say I'm optimistic. Hope embraces the unknown and unknowable, while optimism is a belief that everything was, is, or will be fine. I am convinced that everything wasn't, isn't, and probably won't be fine. But I like to think I may be wrong about that. On very good mornings, I sometimes think we may be on the verge of moving into something like a utopian age. Stranger things have happened. Of course, a hard-eyed reading of history still suggests things are going to get a lot worse before they can get better. We seem to be walking a razor's edge between total economic or ecological collapse on one side with all the usual apocalyptic flourishes, and on the other, the continued merging of technology and human biology until we are enslaved or absorbed by our creation. But I think there's still a path that leads toward home. The future, I imagine, on a good day, looks a lot like the world inhabited by our ancestors, which makes a certain kind of sense, as many journeys end with a return to where they began. The thesis of this book is that the truest, most lasting forms of progress are often those that are built upon an understanding of the past. Quote, reforms by advances, Young wrote in Memories, Dreams, Reflections. That is, by new methods or, or gadgets are of course impressive at first, but in the long run, they are dubious, and in any case dearly paid for it. They by no means increase the contentment or happiness of people on the whole. Reforms by retrogressions, on the other hand, are as a rule less expensive and in addition more lasting, for they return to the simpler tried and tested ways of the past. Unquote. It's hardly surprising 
that we'd seek future guidance in our past. How our species lived in the wild tells us how best to design our modern zoo. We may be on the cusp of a future unimaginable even a few decades ago, a future in which our species slips many of the constraints that have shaped human history in since Gobekli Tepe was buried in trash. The Upside of Armageddon Excerpt Man is at bottom a dreadful wild animal. We know this wild animal only in the tamed state called civilization, and we are therefore shocked by occasional outbreaks of its true nature. But if and when the bolts and bars of the legal order once fall apart and anarchy supervenes, it reveals itself for what it is. Unquote. Arthur Schopenhauer When civilization falls away, we catch a glimpse of human nature in the raw. When the authoritarian six structures supposedly protecting us from our dark Hubesian nature collapse into dust and chaos, more often than not, all heaven breaks loose. In a paradise built on hell, the extraordinary com communities that arise in disaster. Rebecca Solnit documents how human beings from various cultures respond to calamity, not by looting, but by lending a hand. After reviewing the sociological literature and hundreds of personal accounts from disaster survivors, she concluded that, quote, the image of the selfish, panicky, or aggressively savage human being in times of disaster has little truth to it, unquote. Research accumulated over decades of studying how people behave in earthquakes, floods, and bombings shows that our behavior is the opposite of what the NPP tells us to expect. Quote, Disaster is sometimes a door back into paradise, says Solnit, the paradise at least in which we are who we hope to be, do the work we desire, and are each our sisters and brothers keeper. Unquote. While that may sound like Hallmark's card kitsch, Solnit's conclusions are dangerously subversive. They invert the mainstream Neo-Hibesian narrative concerning human nature and the paternalistic institutions marketed to us as protection from each other and from our own uncivilized impulses. Remember, quote, the N quote, remember, the NPP has insisted for thousands of years, homo homini lupus est, man is wolf to man, unquote. But that's doubly wrong. Canids are among the most socially sophisticated cooperative animals, and the history of human behavior in disaster shows that we are far from brutally selfish creatures who turn on one another the second we think we can get away with it. Flipping the disaster narrative 180 degrees, Solnit found that, quote, everyday life in most places is a disaster that disruptions sometimes give us a chance to change. Unquote. Got that? Up is down, black is white, and earthquakes, tsunamis, and landslides aren't the true disasters. Rather, they're disruptions to the ongoing, mundane disaster that most of us call normal life. 
This radical view originated with one of the founders of disaster studies, an American sociologist named Charles E. Fritz. At the end of World War II, Fritz studied the effectiveness of the Allies' bombing campaigns on the German people. From there, he enrolled at the University of Chicago, becoming director of the Disaster Research Project in 1950. Far from being some kind of French thinker, Fritz is a central figure in disaster studies, and his conclusions represent standard thinking among disaster sociologists.